بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين All praise and thanks belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and may the peace and blessing of Allah be upon his servant and final messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam As to what follows, my dear respected brothers and sisters in Islam Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Alhamdulillah for this opportunity that Allah Azza wa Jal has granted us that we gather in one of the houses of his, the best of places on earth. We ask Allah Azza wa Jal to grant us acceptance. We ask him subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive our sins and our shortcomings. My brothers and sisters in Islam, tonight's lecture is titled Fundamentals of Raising a Righteous Family. And today there are many challenges when raising a righteous family. People are complaining that it is difficult to raise children in this day and age, in this country that they are in. These are the complaints. I've now traveled across Australia and the majority of people that would speak to me after the lecture or before the lecture, a lot of the complaints were about challenges that they are facing while raising their children. Too many fitan. Uh, how do we remain righteous? How do we remain upon la ilaha illallah? How do we preserve our faith, our iman, our prayers? How do we fulfill our obligations and keep away from the prohibitions? If the parents themselves are struggling, how do we instill this within our children and so on? Many complaints and I think you understand that the matter is not easy. And so I've put a few fundamentals together that if they are followed by the family, by the parents, the husband and the wife and the children, then insha'Allah ta'ala, this family by the permission of Allah develops into a righteous family. These are six fundamentals that each and every single one of us must memorize, not only that, but then to implement and apply in their life and have a great understanding of them. You see, my brothers and sisters in Islam, at the very beginning, at the core of a righteous family are the parents, the husband and the wife. It all begins from there. It all begins from the very first step. And so we begin with our first fundamental, and that is marrying the righteous person. You might be married, that's fine. You can still hear this so that you can refresh the intentions for why you are married and to understand this institution of marriage. And I also see along, um, some young boys here among us that are not married, and perhaps there are some young sisters that are not married, which inshallah ta'ala, this will be beneficial for them and beneficial for all of us by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first fundamental, marrying the righteous person. If the husband and the wife are righteous, then inshallah, most likely, that is the start of a righteous family. And if the husband and the wife are not righteous, they are corrupted, they have abandoned their deen and the teachings of Islam, then most likely, the family becomes corrupted as well. And I'm saying most likely because guidance is in the hands of Allah Azza wa Jal. Allah Azza wa Jal can guide whoever he wants. Allah Azza wa Jal in the Quran, he says, Allah Azza wa Jal, he says that the good land, the healthy, fertile land, its vegetation emerges by the permission of Allah. Imagine you have a healthy land and you put a healthy seed in there. The result is a healthy 
crop and produce that will come out. وَالَّذِي خَبُثْ And the dry, barren, dead land, the infertile land, the soil quality is weak. If you put a good seed or a bad seed in there, لَا يَخْرُجُ إِلَّا نَكِدَ Hardly anything is produced and anything comes out. At the end of the ayah, Allah says, كَذَلِكَ نُفَصِّلُ الْآيَاتِ This is how we diversify the ayat so that you may be grateful to Allah Then yes, this is speaking about a land, but you can use the ayat to refer to many other things. There is ayat in the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's the idea. If the husband is righteous, the wife is righteous, most likely they will produce a righteous offspring. And if both are corrupted, most likely what comes out is also corrupted. And we must know my brothers and sisters in Islam, that the solution to family problems, uh, they are all solvable before a family even comes into existence. And this is why they say prevention is better than treatment, right? The prevention is better than treatment. And in Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, لا ضرار ولا ضرار. That's a hadith. It's actually a principle in Islam as well. لا ضرار ولا ضرار means for you to push away harm before it comes is much better than dealing with the harm after it has come. So the Muslim is always supposed to be a person who is on the lookout. Where's the harm? And try to push it away from your life before it comes in. Because when it comes in, you have to then deal with that harm. So that's the idea. The idea is a lot of these family issues and raising children upon righteousness and so on could have been solved. If a person decided uh, to take this first fundamental serious and marry the righteous person. And of course, marrying a righteous person, this is at the very beginning of the marriage. Everyone should ask himself, why am I getting married? Why did I get married for? Why? Is it because your parents are married and as a result, others just got to do the same thing? Or your friends got married and you're the last one left, so hurry up and get married? Or is it, I don't want to be left alone, I need to get married? Or is it because you have a desire? In that case, what's the difference between a human and an animal? Why do we get married? What's the purpose? That's the very first thing you need to understand. We get married, and for those that are married, you use what I'm saying of information to refresh and you renew these intentions. The believer seeks to marry, so that he can raise a righteous family. That's a great purpose in marriage. To have a righteous family, have a righteous daughter, a righteous son, that worship Allah Azza wa Jal. To complete your iman, to raise children upon the worship of Allah, to increase the number of the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as a result, making the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam proud of you on the day of judgment. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, تَزَوَّجُوا الْوَدُودَ الْوَلُودِ Get married to the loving, fertile woman. فَإِنِّي مُكَافِرٌ بِكُمُ الْأُمَمَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ Because I will be boasting of your great number before all the nations. يعني النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم is encouraging us. Have lots of children because I want to stand proud on the day of judgment before all the other nations and say, I have the greatest following. I have the greatest number. And here, the great number and the great following is not just Muslim by name. The great following that the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa is looking forward to meet are true believers. 
Muslims that adhere to the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not just by name, even that's the ID. This is an intention for why we get married. And this is what every young man and every woman should intend when seeking marriage. And this is why the prophets from their dua, Rabbi habli minas salihin, say, my Lord, gift me and grant me from among the righteous. He didn't just say, my Lord, gift me a kid. No, no, he doesn't want any type of kid. Gift me a righteous child. Zakaria alayhi salam, Rabbi habli min ladunka dhurriyatan tayyibah. My Lord, gift me especially from you a righteous, upright family and generation. This is what he's looking for. True in his intention, followed it up with dua. That's exactly what Allah Azza wa gave him. For Ibrahim, Ismail alayhi salam, for Zakaria, Yahya alayhi salam, and their children were righteous. A correct intention with dua gets you that matter. And the intention of marriage is, as we said, to raise a child that also will remember you after your death and make dua for you. Because the dua of a righteous child after you have died goes a long way in bringing you immense relief and reward in your grief. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said that when the parents have died, they are in the paradise and they go up, they are raised levels and ranks in the paradise. So they will say to Allah, where is this upgrade coming from? Why are we going up? Allah Azza wa Jalla says, بِاسْتِغْفَارِ وَلَدِكَ لَكْ Because there's a child in this worldly life you left behind. And he's righteous, he's making dua for you, he's seeking forgiveness for you. He's saying, my Lord, forgive my father, my mother. And you're going up and up and earning more and more of Allah Azza wa Jalla's pleasure. How beautiful is this to know that that will be the hard work. That's your hard work in raising a righteous child. So these are the intentions to raise righteous children. When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَاتِ وَإِنَّمَا لِمْرِئٍ مَا You must intend the good in order to receive the good. So after these righteous intentions, you must now actively look to marry the one who will help you fulfill this righteous intention. So that's step one. You've corrected your intention. You know why you're getting married. Next step now, start looking actively to find that righteous brother or to find that righteous sister. When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he advised the young men to marry the righteous woman. Listen to hadith in Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He said, A woman is married for four things. And he's going to list them according to what people prioritize. He said, firstly, for her beauty, for her looks. And that's the vast majority of what people do. They run after looks, neglecting and ignoring every other aspect of life. That's number one. That's what people do. He mentioned at first because that's what people prioritize. And for her reputation, perhaps this is a woman coming from a noble family a very famous family, reputable family. So she might not have the looks, she might not have the wealth, but people will say, I will marry her so I can be recognized among the community. I have a name for myself. This is among the people. And she is also married for her wealth. So perhaps she doesn't come from a noble family. She doesn't have any looks. She's not that pretty. There's others that are prettier than her. But this person here decides that I'll marry her because 
Her father died and she inherited a fortune. Let me marry her for her money. This is, there are people like this, as the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam teaches us. Then the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said at the end, وَلِدِينِهَا And she is married for her religion. He put it at the end because that's where, put it, that's where people put it. He said, وَلِدِينِهَا For her righteousness. Then the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he gave important advice. This is advice coming from an Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The one who carries enormous mercy in his heart towards his ummah. He wants good for you more than your own parents. And he said, He said, Race and rush to the one with religion and deen. He didn't even say, or That would have meant, choose the righteous one. Select the righteous woman. He didn't say that. The, the verb he used, فضفر, and الظفر, it implies war. Yani grab it before others take it. Hurry up, quick. There is victory, there is success in this. That's the verb فضفر. It gives this uh, idea and this um, attitude of hurry up, run and grab it before people take it because this is an expensive commodity. Right? That's the idea. فضفر. And problems exist today among the youth and among a lot of couples because they haven't taken the advice of the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam seriously. And Allah Azza wa Jal, He even stressed on the importance of marrying the righteous woman. This is Allah's word now in the Quran. Listen how Allah says it. He says, "Wala amatun mu'minatun khayrum min mushrikatin walau a'jabatkum." Allah Azza wa Jal, He says. A believing slave, female slave. A righteous female slave. You know, what is a slave? Most likely she's not pretty. She doesn't have wealth. She doesn't, ha she doesn't own herself, right? Because she is in the ownership of her master. Allah Azza wa Jal is saying that type of woman that is a slave but has deen is much better. Khayran. From a disbelieving woman, even if you are amazed with everything about her, her looks, her wealth, her reputation, anything about her in life. Why? Because this one has deen, this one doesn't have deen. That's how Allah Azza wa Jal words it. This is intense words. Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, nothing benefits a man after his faith in Allah as much as a wife with good character. Good character, meaning she's upon great deen. A loving and a fertile woman. And he said, nothing harms a man after disbelieving in Allah as much as a wife with evil character and a sharp tongue. Right? You need to know exactly where you want your life to head into. And in the end, every person will realize that at the end, all he wanted was a righteous spouse to live with for the rest of his life. Maybe you don't pick this up at the beginning or in the second year, but 10 years, 15 years down, if you hadn't made that correct choice from the beginning, this is what every couple will realize at the end. Because these four matters, or the three matters that people marry for, looks and wealth and reputation, all this goes backwards. 
A person doesn't enhance in his looks every day. Every day you're getting older and your looks are going backwards, right? No matter how much you do with your face and how much silicon and how much plastic you put, it's all going backwards. But one thing that never goes backwards is a deen that is always advancing. And so if the spouse you have chosen to marry is righteous and religious and continues to work on her deen, she'll look more beautiful every single day because you married her for that and that's getting better every day. Allahu Akbar. The marriage becomes firm and it becomes stable. And if you are sincere, Wallahi, my young brothers, if you are sincere, looking for the one with deen, Allah Azza wa Jal will satisfy you with her and everything about her. There was a story of a man. He said he had an intention to marry. So he wanted to marry his cousin and she was pretty. So he engaged. He did an engagement with her and he realized when he got to know her that she wasn't a woman upon deen. So he got turned off because his intention was to marry a righteous woman. He got turned off and he turned off from marriage altogether. Years later, he refreshed this commitment to get married. And he still conditioned upon himself that I will only marry the righteous woman. That's his intention. So he said he began an intense course of dua, making dua in his salat, in Arafah, in Al-Hajj, in his Umrah, when fasting, when traveling, dua, oh Allah, grant me a righteous woman. He says, then Allah Azza wa Jal granted me the righteous woman. He's seen righteousness in her. But she wasn't as pretty as his cousin, but he needs to be true to his intention. So he married her. He said, in one night, when we are sleeping, I suddenly woke up in the middle of the night and I looked to the corner of my room and I saw my wife standing in the corner praying. He was amazed. He never knew that this woman gets up at night and prays. Seems to be that she would get up silently, make a wudu, go and pray. So he tucked himself back into bed and he slept. He said, that look of her standing and praying imprinted in my mind. It just printed in his mind. He said, after that incident, every time he would go out and about in his work, marketplace, on the train, wherever he is, every time he said he saw a pretty woman, the image of his wife praying would flash right before his eyes and he would be disgusted and turned off with anything he saw. Allahu Akbar. Allah satisfied him. Why? Because he married with the right intention and now he's satisfied. There are prettier women more than her, but he's just turned off. Where am I going to get someone like this that is standing at night and praying? This is indeed a mother of children. If she is righteous within herself, praying voluntary prayers while he's sleeping, then he has grabbed onto victory as the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Right. You see, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, grab onto the one with deen and take his advice because he is more merciful towards you than you are towards your own self. He knows what's good for you. So blindly follow his advice sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this very same talk applies to the young sister when she is also looking for marriage. And this incident here, I narrate it so my young sister can hear it as well. Abu Talha, radiyallahu anhu, 
he requested Ummu Sulaim for marriage. At the time he requested her, he was not a Muslim. So Ummu Sulaim, being the righteous woman she was, she said to him, Wallahi ma mithluka ya Aba Talhata yurad. She said to him, Ya Abu Talha, Wallah, someone like you cannot be rejected. You got manners, you're, you're generous, you're good character, you speak good words. But you're a disbelieving man. Sorry, I cannot accept your proposal to marry me. I'm a Muslim woman. And it is forbidden for me to marry you. Huh? We have this problem, right? Today, in this day and age, a Muslim woman wants to marry a disbelieving man, right? There are now these kind of scenarios and episodes that are coming out. We ask Allah Azza wa to protect us and protect our deen. It is not allowed for a Muslim woman to marry a kafir, even if he was a Christian or a Jew. Of course, and this is different uh, to the man. A man in Islam is permitted to marry a Christian woman and a Jewish woman. من أهل الكتاب as Allah Azza wa Jal mentioned in the Quran but nowadays Allah Azza wa Jal of course has put a condition for this محصنين ومحصنات غير مسافحات ولا متخذات أخدام a woman that is still a virgin is not in any relationship with any man الإمام الألباني رحمه الله he said you will not find this today the Christian woman and the Jewish woman of today, you will not find among them that have adhered to the conditions of Allah. So forget the whole topic. And don't go after a Christian woman or a Jewish woman. It won't be allowed if she doesn't fulfill those conditions. Anyway, so Abu and Ummu Sulaim makes it very clear, I cannot marry you. Then she says to him, فَإِن تُسْلِمْ فَذَاكَ مَهْرِي If you accept Islam, that's going to be my mahr. And I don't want anything from you. He went and took a deep look into the matter and he finally accepted Islam and that was her mother. She didn't want anything from him. And he said, I have never come across any woman that had a more noble mahar than the mahar of Ummu Sulaim that this man who approached her in marriage for him to accept Islam. This is a righteous woman. Look at this. She loved everything about him. But so long as he's a disbeliever, no deen, I'm not interested. When he accepted Islam, she married him. Later on, she became pregnant and she gave birth to her son. Her son got sick and he died. There's a long story in this. Um, and her husband, Abu Talha, he used to come into the house and ask about her son. How is our son? How is he? How is he? Uh, he's sick, he's sick, until one day he died. Abu Talha came back home. So she covered her son and put him in the corner of the bed and covered him, in the corner of the room and covered him. And he came into the house that night and he said, how is our son Abu Talha? She said, yeah, he's now resting. She meant he's dead, but he didn't understand this. Look how smart this woman was. So he slept with her and he did what husband and wife do that night. And he got up the next morning and she said to him, I want to tell you something. If our neighbor had borrowed something and we went and requested it back from them, do they have any right to be upset? He said, no, it's our property. Why are they going to be upset for? 
she said to him, then Allah Azza wa Jal has taken what belongs to him. Your son is with Allah Azza wa Jal. Allahu Akbar, look how she broke the news. He was upset. He rushed to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he said, Ya Rasulullah, this is what happened. My son had died, she didn't tell me and I slept with her that night and I can't get over this. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said to Abu Talha, Barakallahu lakuma fi ghabirikuma al-layla. May Allah Azza wa Jal bestow immense blessing upon you and what you did that night. So he got his child, Abdullah, and he had 10 children after that. All of them had mastered the Quran and they were narrators of hadith. Ishaq, and Abd, Ishaq ibn Abdullah ibn Abi Talha, he was the teacher of Imam Malik rahimahullah. Ismail ibn Abdullah, Abdullah ibn Abdullah, and 10 of these, these were his grandkids. I'll tell you something. All this because of a righteous woman. Because of what she did and how she broke the news of the death to her husband. And then the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam makes dua for him and his family. And until this very day, when we read these scholars' names, Who's earning the reward? Ummu Sulaim or Abu Talha and they're in their graves long gone and people don't even know about them. And they're earning immense reward. Why? Because of a righteous woman had a correct attitude when it came to marry. I will only marry a righteous man. She did so. And look at the blessing until this very day. Every time we read the ahadith and the works of these scholars that were their children, they're earning this immense reward. Allahu Akbar. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said the very same words in the Qur'an, وَلَا عَبْدٌ مُؤْمِنٌ خَيْرٌ مِّن مُشْرِكٍ وَلَوْ أَعْجَبَكُمْ Allah azza wa jalla, he says to the woman, that a male slave, meaning most likely doesn't look good, doesn't have money, he'll be poor, he's owned by his master, but he has deen, he has iman, Allah says is much better, خَيْرٌ than a disbeliever, someone with no deen, even if he impressed you in every aspect of life. These are intense words, wallah, that come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so my brothers and sisters in Islam compare this to the one who marries blindly. The brother who goes out for looks, doesn't care about a deen and about piety, doesn't take that into consideration. Then two years later, he has problems. No, two weeks later, he has issues. And the sister who doesn't care about a deen and piety and marries, Allah just goes after looks after wealth, after cars, after whatever he has. And what happens as well? Two days later, there is a complaint, there is an issue, there is divorce. Yani, why? Had they taken the advice of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, there would have been goodness in that. When Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam advised the woman, If the man with deen and great character comes to you, then marry him off to your daughter. Because if you don't do so, there will be a huge fitna on earth. You'll be contributing to a great fitna on earth. And there will be immense corruption on earth. And that's what we see. Yani, imagine, as, as a father, today, if two men approached, one guy comes to the house, let's say he's a wealthy man, CEO of some company, that doesn't know his deen. Nothing from the Qur'an. Another man comes to your door, seeking your daughter in marriage. He has Qur'an, attends the lectures. He has a deen, good character. But he's a poor man. 
in today's standard, what do people do? They'll say, inshallah, Hada will take the wealthy one, we'll teach him his deen later. We'll teach him how to pray later, no problems. Amavada bloke doesn't have anything. Thank you very much. We're not interested. Wallahi, with this kind of approach, you set yourself up for failure and loss. And don't forget, this worldly life is not everything. The greatest thing in this worldly life is a deen. You preserve that, you protect that. You're successful here in your grave and in the afterlife. Well, Hassan al-Basri, rahimahullah, he gives advice to the men, to the husband, to the father. Zawwij ibnataka min taqi. Marry your daughter to a righteous man. فَإِنَا حَبَّهَا كَرَمَهَا If he loves her, he'll respect her and honor her. وَإِنَا بَغَضَهَا لَمْ يَظْلِمْهَا And if he hates her or dislikes her, because sometimes things would happen in a marriage, he will not oppress her. وَالشَّعْبِ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ He said, مَنْ زَوَّجَ كَرِيمَتَهُ مِنْ فَاسِقٍ فَقَدْ قَطَعَ رَحِمَهُ Whoever marries his daughter off to a disobedient person, then he has severed the ties with his kinship. And whoever severs ties with kinship is cursed by Allah. So this is, of course, a huge responsibility. Now, uh, okay. So that's the first point, first fundamental. You have the intention right, you act upon it, and you find the righteous man, the righteous woman, Bismillah, you get married. Second fundamental. Now both of you have got married. The second greatest fundamental for a righteous family to remain righteous among their most intense of fitan and corruption is to understand al-mas'uliyyah, responsibility. That's a fundamental. You have to understand what mas'uliyyah is. Both the husband and the wife must know that they are responsible. And they will be questioned by Allah about their responsibility on the day of judgment. You need to understand the gravity of this. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Kullukum ra'in wa kullukum mas'ulun All of you are shepherds. And you will be all questioned about your flock. Then he said, The father is a shepherd in the house and he will be questioned about his flock, about his children and his wife. And a woman is also a shepherd in her husband's house and she will be questioned about this responsibility and the children that are in the house. Today, there is a topic among people. People are confused. Who's supposed to look after the children? The man says, that's not my job. I get the money, I spend and then I can live the single life. I don't have to be at home. That's a mother's thing. She's the one that changes the nappies, feeds the child, and nurtures him and raises him, and I got nothing to do with this. Wrong. What Dalil is this hadith. This, my brothers and sisters, first and foremost, it's called parenting. It's not called fathering, nor is it called mothering. It's called parenting. Both share equal responsibility when it comes to the children, with Dalil is this hadith. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, the man will be questioned about his flock. And the woman will be questioned about her flock. What does that mean? Equal responsibility. Yes. Then there are roles that are divided between the husband and the wife. But who is to look after the children? Who are they the responsibility of? Both the father and the mother whether they are still married with their children or whether they are divorced. 
That doesn't change. You divorce your wife, you divorce your husband, you, that has nothing to do with the children. You don't divorce them, right? Mas'ul. See this word, mas'ul? You are responsible. Today people are excited when this word is given to them. Mas'ul. And I became a manager. Mas'ul. Right? Became a manager at the school. Became a manager in the office. And people are generally excited with the word mas'ul. But wallahi, this word mas'ul implies burden and difficulty and a huge responsibility. When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, La tazulu qadama abdin yawm al-qiyamati hatta yus'ala an arba'a. Your feet will not move from their place on the day of judgment until you're asked about four things. And these four things are about that concern you, right? Your wealth, where you got it from, your knowledge, what you did with it, your age and your youth. These are what concerns you. Immediately after these four questions that concern you, the very first set of questions that are coming are about those who are you responsible for. Your husband, your wife, your children. That's coming straight after the questions that concern you. Mas'ul, it comes from the word sa'ala. Sa'ala means to be questioned. And if you're going to be questioned, that means the questions are going to come from somewhere. They are coming from Allah. Even the matter is huge. It's serious. You need to prepare answers. So you need to fulfill your responsibility to the best of your ability now so that you stand on the day of judgment having said, Alhamdulillah, I gave it my best. But you stand on the day of judgment having neglected your responsibility. Wallah, it is going to be a serious stand on that day. When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam at the end of that hadith, he emphasized again. He said, Ala fakullukum ra'in wa kullukum mas'oolun arra'iyatih. Yani Nabi sallallahu already said, we are responsible. But at the end of the hadith, he emphasized more. He said, you better all know, you are all responsible and you will be questioned about those underneath you. That's the second fundamental. When you think of responsibility, the first thing you are supposed to be thinking of the questioning. I'm going to be questioned. Ma'aqil ibn Yasir radiallahu anhu said that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, مَا مِنْ عَبْدٍ يَسْتَرْعِي اللَّهُ رَعِيَّةً يَمُوتُ يَوْمَ يَمُوتُ وَهُوَ غَاشٌ لِرَعِيَّتِهِ إِلَّا حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ الْجَنَّةِ Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, there is no slave who Allah azzawajal gives him a responsibility, a family, a wife and children, or the woman he gives her husband and children. If he dies the day he dies, and he had neglected his children, غَاشٌ لِرَعِيَّتِهِ He deceived them. He did not look after them. He did not uphold the responsibility. Then Allah Azzawajal deprives him from the paradise. Shuf. Deprives him. He's a Muslim. He, he, he died as a believer. What it means is he deprives him from the paradise as being from the first to enter. Yani he's delayed. Allahu alam how long he's delayed. And that includes both the man and the woman. When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said as in the hadith of Anas radiallahu anhu, Inna Allah sa'ilun kulla ra'in amma star'ah. Allah is going to ask and question every shepherd about his flock and that which he was responsible for. Did he uphold and fulfill the responsibility or did he reject and neglect and ignore? Then the Nabi says, even the man will be questioned about the people he was responsible for within his family, his wife and kids. What are you going to say on that day? Huh? 
Are you going to say, Wallah, Anna, my wife was a, was a terrible woman. She didn't have deen. Or what's the woman going to say? My husband wasn't supportive enough. He was a terrible man. Didn't the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam already warn and give advice, marry the person of a deen? Then you need to play the game from the very beginning right. And you are not only responsible for your family's food and drink and their clothing and housing and take them to doctor when they are sick and take them to weekend sport and so on. People think that's the responsibility and the greatest thing. La wallah, it is not. That you need to do, but that's a separate thing. It's not the biggest thing. The greatest responsibility when it comes to your family and your children is their religion, their deen. Allah Azza wa Jalla says, "Wa'mur ahlaka bil salat." Instruct your children to as salat, your family to as salat. That's what you'll be questioned about on the day of judgment. Their prayer. Ismail alayhi salam, Allah Azza wa Jalla was pleased with him because كان يأمر أهله بالصلاة والزكاة. He consistently used to instruct and command his family upon as salat. He looked after their deen. Yaqub alayhi salam. When he was dying, Allah Azza wa Jal said, Am kuntum shuhada'a if habara Ya'qub al-mawt? Were you there? Were you present? When Ya'qub was dying, we weren't there. Listen to what Allah said because he captured the moment for us. إِذْ قَالَ لِبَنِيهِ مَا تَعْبُدُونَ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ His children were around him. Yusuf alayhi salam and others. Yusuf is a prophet. This is a prophet dying and his son are righteous people. From among his children is a prophet. He says to his children, what are you going to worship after my death? He did not say to them, what are you going to do with my wealth after I die? With my land after I die? With this and that that I own? No! Who are you going to worship after my death? Because that's his greatest responsibility. And they say, نَعْبُدُ إِلَهَكَ وَإِلَهَ آبَائِكَ إِبْرَاهِمَ وَإِسْمَعِلَ وَإِسْحَاقَ إِلَهًا وَاحِدًا وَنَحْنُ لَهُ مُسْلِمُونَ in affirmation, we're going to worship Allah and remain submitted to Him. Allahu Akbar. That's what you are responsible for. Luqman alayhi salam, Allah Azza wa Jal mentions his advice to his son in the Quran. It was about la tushrik billah. Don't associate partners with Allah. Implement and establish a tawheed in your life. Then he said to him, pray. And then from the many advice at the end, he gives him advice about manners. Uphold good character and manners and ethics. Even the greatest responsibility you have with your children and your family is their deen. When was the last time you gathered your family and you spoke to them about Allah and His greatness and His laws? Allah in the Quran, He says, Ya Allah He says, O you who believe, save yourself and your family from the fire of hell. He didn't say, Save them from hunger. Save them from the cold in these days. Yeah. Save them from the hellfire. How do you save them from the hellfire? How? By knowing and understanding that your greatest responsibility towards them is their deen. So teach them Al-Islam. Teach them the commandments of Allah. Teach them what Allah has forbidden and prohibited. Teach them the dangers of social media. Control them on these matters. Teach them a salat and time. Wake them up for salat al-fajr. Take them to al-masjid. You need to be engaging in the discussion of a deen in the house more than you discuss anything else. Today the family among itself, they're speaking about where are we going to go on Sunday? Where are we going to eat? 
What holiday are we going to go at the end of the year? What school are we going to go, go to? How was this? How was the day? How was that day? How was this friend? How was that friend? Where's, how was your salat during this day? Where's, did you pray salat al-fajr on time or not? Where is my son, my daughter? Did you read al-adhkar today or not? Did you see the adhkar after al-salat or not? Did you make dua today at least for a minute or two or not? Did you see the dua before you entered the bathroom or not? Where's this matter? This is what you're responsible for. This is what will strengthen their deen and fortify it. That's why I'm telling you this is a fundamental. If you understood al-mas'uliyah, now we're working towards raising a righteous family. But if you're thinking your mas'uliyah is just feed him and clothe him and shelter him and take him to soccer and, and I'm, I'm done, now Allah, that's not going to benefit you at all. And, um, so these are the matters that Allah Azza wa is mentioning. And of course, when he said, save yourself and your family from the fire, what do you learn from that? You learn that the greatest means or the greatest method by far on earth to raise righteous children is what? Here, here it's in this ayah, it's mentioned in this ayah. Is to model parenting for you to be a role model. Why? Because Allah Azza wa said, save yourself. If you're on a path of saving yourself from the fire, that means you've become a role model for others. You now are in the position of saving others in your family. Saving yourself from the fire, meaning you are adhering to Allah's command. If you do that, that means you're a righteous Muslim. Children are most likely to follow and they'll do exactly that. But if you're not on a path of saving your own self from the fire, how are you going to save those around you from a fire? How? How are you going to be a source of inspiration for them? That's why it's a failed cause. So al-mus'ari, al-mas'uli is big. You got to bring some grand changes into your life once you're married. You're married, you're now a husband. You live a husband life, not a single life. Then when you have your first child, you live a father's life, not a single life. People are excelling and they're moving forward in their titles. He was once single, then he becomes a married man. Then he becomes a father, then he becomes a grandfather, and he's still a, a level one, still that single life. It doesn't work. That's not al-mas'uliyah. You haven't understood your mas'uliyah correctly. Things have to dramatically change. You've got to quickly adopt to a new title and move along in that manner. Now, there are responsibilities. There are things you have to leave out. Sorry, I cannot attend. I need to go and attend with my children. I need to be with them. I need to look after their deen. I need to teach them more. This is something very important. Now, Allah, يعني, I tell you something. Your greatest responsibility is the deen of your children. Teach them. A woman, your daughters, teach them al-hijab. I tell you something, a story. Uh, there was once a woman and her husband, we went to their house and the husband, he said to me, then his daughter, I, I saw her walking and she wasn't with hijab. I thought, يعني, let me just ask him, maybe because we're in his house, there is time, we can give him advice. I said, brother, wallahi, يعني, don't take offense to what I'm saying. Wallahi, even if you don't want to engage in the matter, I'm, I'm happy to stay quiet. But I just wanted to ask, يعني, your daughter, is she يعني, scarved or not? Does she wear the hijab or not? He said, oh, no, no, that's a great question. No problems. I go, yeah, what's the story? He said, oh, look, يعني, um, we've come to the decision, him and his wife, he said, that we're just going to leave it up to her until she's convinced. 
Okay, that's good. All right, mashallah. Leave it up to her until she's convinced. I said, can I ask you a question? I said, if your daughter came to you tomorrow morning, she said to you, my dad, my mom, I don't want to go to school tomorrow until I'm convinced. What are you going to do? Huh? What are you going to do? Yeah, no worries. Stay in your room. Come back later with an answer. Let me know how you think. Wallah, the sandal on top of her head. What do you mean you don't want to go to school? Right? And he's forced her to go to school. Hmm. He said, yeah, but that's, that's different. Two of them are different. I said, yeah, of course they're different. But you didn't know which of the two are more important. You see the ID? You see that attitude that we have? That attitude is supposed to be for a deen more than anything else. Why, why would you want to force your daughter to go to school? Isn't that traumatizing and whatever it is they say when we do the very same thing concerning a deen and the Islamic teachings? And why? why? Ah, Idan, shaitan has tricked us and fooled us and made us think that these are the important things and these are the less important things. Wallahi, my brothers and sisters in Islam. Yani, shuf, if, if your child got sick, you have a responsibility, of course, take him, pick him up, take him to the doctor, get him the medicine or whatever it is. No problems, do that. But what happens, yani, if the child got sick physically, what's the greatest thing that's going to happen? He's going to die. He's going to die. It's going to be a source of purification for you, elevation for you, hasanat, bi'ithnillah, no problems, and we're all dying anyway. But if the child's spiritual matters have died, his heart has died, this is the greatest calamity. And if he got sick, you'll rush him to hospital. And if the heart is sick and diseased and doesn't have deen and is turning away from the teachings of a deen, where's that attitude of rushing to the spiritual hospital? Then we haven't understood what al-mas'uliyah means. That's the idea of this fundamental and what I wanted to bring to your attention. Al-mas'uliyah is important. Now, you know, subhanAllah, today, when we send, well, I've seen this, some people, they send their children to a Qur'an school, an Islamic school. So their son comes back, he's crying. Oh, he didn't like the teacher, and I don't know what happened in the class. So the mother is all angry. Wallah, I'm not going to send my child back to the Qur'an school. He got traumatized there. How pathetic are these teachers that he came back crying? Mm, all right. That very same child, the age of five, he begins school. He goes to kindergarten. He's screaming. The mother is outside the fence crying, Oh, Albi, leave him. School's good for him. Why? But the school's traumatizing. Pull him out of the school then. You see? You see what the shaitan has done? It's the same thing. He's crying in school. He's traumatized. He doesn't want to sit there. But now leave him there. Now leave him. Why he goes to the Quran school? He came back crying. Nah, 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 khalas. Quit. Exit. Can't believe. Teacher has made him hate his deen, ah, our spiritual abuse and whatever it is. It's natural for a child to be disconnected, right? And the teacher sometimes, yeah, and he has to press hard. Yalla, your child, you can't go anywhere. Memorize your Quran. And those tears that flow from a child when he memorizes the Quran, wallahi, he'll thank you for them later on. He'll thank you later on when he gets upright into his deen. So you need to be aware of this matter because this is the greatest responsibility. Sahnoon, have you heard of this man before? He was a student of Imam Malik, rahimahullah. 
and uh, there was a man who came to him and said to him, I have seven children and I didn't enroll them in any Quran school. They don't know the Quran. Sahnoon said such a person should be imprisoned. If Sahnoon was among us today, how many would be in prison? That's according to Imam Sahnoon, rahimahullah, right? Greatest responsibility, teach him a deen. Teach him a deen. Now, put them in schools and let them. If you can't teach your children al-Islam, put them somewhere where they can teach him al-Islam. The third fundamental, to raise a righteous family. And that is that the couple must encourage one another upon the worship of Allah Azza wa Jal. Oh, listen to this because this is very important. Some people, they complain today. Hada, the brother, he comes and he says, Wallah, ana ya shaykh, my wife doesn't wake up for Salat al-Fajr. What do I do? Why didn't you ask her from the very beginning if she prayed Salat al-Fajr on it? Yani, what do I do? I come, I wake up for you, Yani. What's the deal? Or she says, my husband doesn't wake up for Salat al-Fajr. Why didn't you ask from the beginning if he prayed Salat al-Fajr or not? I tell you something. From the greatest fundamentals to raising a righteous family, the husband and the wife must encourage one another upon the worship of Allah throughout the day and the night. Must. Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, he narrates and he says that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, May Allah bestow his mercy upon a man who got up and prayed at night. Then he went to wake his wife up to pray. If she refused, he would sprinkle water in her face. And may Allah bestow his mercy upon a woman who wakes up at night and she prays. Then she wakes her husband up. If he doesn't get up, she sprinkles water on his face. May Allah bestow his mercy upon this couple. Uh, see this hadith? What is it teaching us? Husband and wife must encourage each other upon the worship of Allah. And this is a voluntary deed. Imagine how much more it should be with the obligatory deeds. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu he narrates, and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, إِذَا أَيْقَضَ الرَّجُلُ أَهْلَهُ مِنَ اللَّيْلِ فَصَلَّيَا أَوْ صَلَّا رَكْعَتَيْنِ جَمِيعًا كُتِبَا فِي الذَّاكِرِينَ وَالذَّاكِرَاتِ Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, if a man was to wake his wife up at night, and they prayed two rak'at together. Five minutes. They will be recorded that night from those who remember Allah in abundance. Once again, the hadith is teaching us that husband and wife must encourage each other upon the worship of Allah. And these are not just prophetic hadith. This is exactly what Nabi Wasallam did. Come zoom into, house, zoom into his house and see. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would pray the night. When he is about to pray Al-Witr, you know what he would do? He would shake the foot of his wife Aisha and he would say, Get up Aisha and pray Al-Witr. Once again, husband and wife encouraging one another upon the worship of Allah. Ali radiallahu anhu mentions that the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam entered upon my apartment. Ali is married to the daughter of the Nabi sallallahu Fatima. Once again, the father now is going to be encouraging his daughter to worship. Ali says the Nabi entered upon us while me and Fatima were sleeping. So he said to us, get up to Salat. Then he went back to his house in Nabi and he prayed a long prayer. And he didn't hear any movement of ours. Meaning what happened? They went back to sleep. 
So when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam went back into their room, and he said to them, Quma fasalliya. Get up and pray. So Ali radiallahu anhu, he got up, he said, I sat wa a'ariku aynay. He was rubbing his eyes. And he said, Inna wallahi ma nusalli illa ma katab allahu lana. Wa innama hiya anfusuna biyadillah. Fa'in sha'a an yab'athaha ba'athaha. Shuf the excuse he put. He said, Wallah, ya Rasulullah, we only pray what Allah has decreed for us to pray. And our souls are in the hands of Allah Azza wa Jalla. And if Allah will, we'll get up and we'll pray. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam began to slap his thigh and saying, Illa ma katab Allahu lana. Is this your excuse? Only what Allah has written for us? وَكَانَ الْإِنسَانُ أَكْثَرَ شَيْءٍ جَدَلًا The human being argues too much and he left sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Once again, the Nabi sallallahu recommending and encouraging his family to the worship. The Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam comes to his daughter Aisha. He says to her, ما يمنعك أن تسمعي ما أوصيك به What prevents you, my daughter, from listening and implementing the advice I want to give you? So he says to her, say every morning and every evening, يَا حَيُّ يَا قَيُّومُ بِرَحْمَتِكَ أَسْتَغِيثَ أَصْلِحْ لِي شَأْنِي كُلَّهُ وَلَا تَكِلْنِي إِلَى نَفْسِ طَرْفَةَ عَيْنِ and he taught her a dhikr, a dua to make every morning and every evening. Who? The greatest of man giving advice to the greatest of women. Fatima radiallahu anha. Once again, father and daughter encouraging one another upon the worship of Allah. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam teaches al-Hasan, his grandson, dua al-Qunut. You know dua al-Qunut? In your witr, when you're praying. Allahumma ahdina fi man hadaytu, aafina fi man aafaytu, wa tawallana fi man tawallaytu. Who narrated that? Al-Hasan, and he was eight years old at the time. He says, my grandfather, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, taught me dua al-qunut, and this is it. Once again, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, encouraging his family upon the worship of Allah. Al-Rabi' bint Mu'awwith. He says, what does he say? He says that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, on the day of Ashura, he'll send out to the people that today is Ashura fast. So the people of the town, they will go to their children and they'll ensure they are fasting, they'll encourage them. If the children, yeah, if the children begin to experience hunger and start crying, they'll round up the children and they'll take them away to Al-Masjid. They'll make for them toys from wool and they'll distract them with that until Al-Maghrib. Then they'll break their fast, encouraging their children upon the worship. Some might say, that's torture. How can you let a child Fast! That's spiritual abuse. You shouldn't do that. Ah, okay, I'll give you something. If you went to the doctor, and the doctor said, Allah, your seven or eight-year-old son needs to do a blood test. So he has to fast the entire night and not eat or drink anything. No problems. Now, it's not traumatizing, this one. Don't eat. Don't drink. Close the fridge. Make sure it doesn't have anything. Because there's a blood test coming tomorrow. So the idea is, of course, the children can fast. But if you had the same approach towards fasting, you would have understood. You would have understood what's more important. Now, yeah, we're not saying yani, if a young child, six, seven years old, can't fast long hours. Of course, you don't yani, enforce this matter upon them. But if a child is eight, nine, ten years old, then this is a good day and an age in where the child can fast. Yes, he will feel hungry. So what? Even adults feel hungry as well yani, when they fast trains his, 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 uh, his system upon the worship of Allah and so on. Now, okay, so that's the idea. The fourth fundamental 
that I want to bring to your attention. Very important. Well, we've got three more. We'll finish them quickly, inshallah. But this one, I'll take some time on it. Very important. Wallahi, I would have put this fourth one as number one. But I'm moving in order. That's why it comes where it comes now. The fourth. Listen to it very carefully. In order to raise a righteous family, المعاملته بحسن الخلق There has to be great character from the husband and from the wife. Good manners. Outstanding manners. If manners don't exist in a marriage, we're setting ourselves up for corruption and failure. Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu said, خيركم خيركم لأهله وأنا خيركم لأهلي The best of you are the best to their family and I am the best to my family. Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, the foundation of a man is his intellect and the honor of a man in his deen. And manhood is in character. Manhood is in character according to Umar radiallahu anhu. I'll take the definition of manhood from Umar as opposed to what the West has brought it out to be. Manhood is character. That's what it is. Look at the impeccable character in the house of the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Khadija radiallahu anha, she says, when the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was given wahi, and this is the very first time, iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq was revealed, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was terrified. And he said to her, ya Khadija, I fear for myself. She didn't say to him, Wallah, sorry, it's not my problem. You deal with your own issue. No. Emotionally, he was disturbed and so on. She was there. She said to him, no, no, no. Allah will never humiliate you. Because you look after the poor, after the needy, you entertain your guests, you look after the destitute and so on. She mentioned his good qualities and good character. Why? Because that's a reflection of her good character as well. So the idea is when the husband is down or the wife is down in an emotional episode or whatever it is, from good character and manners that you approach the spouse and you reassure them and you speak to them about goodness that exists within them so that they can be proud of who they are and the goodness they've accomplished in their life and that would help them get over whatever they are experiencing at that moment. That's good character. That's not weakness. That's good character. And that will take the marriage a long way for it to be righteous and firm. I give you the story of Abu Zara and Umm Zara, and perhaps this is the first time you've heard it. Listen to this. And this is in Sahih al-Bukhari. Aisha radiallahu anha, she says. She says, 11 women gathered around the Kaaba. And they had made a commitment that they're going to sit together and discuss about their husbands. So 11 women are sitting in a circle. Allahu Akbar. And they're going to talk about their husbands to Aisha. Good, good. Bad, bad. They're not holding back anything. All the admiration is in Sahih al-Bukhari. It's a long one. First one goes, second one goes, third one goes. I think it's the fourth one. She didn't leave anything except she wiped the floor with him. Read the narration. We get to the last one, the 11th one. The 11th one begins to speak. I want you to listen carefully and I'll make my point at the end of it. She said, Zawji Abu Zar'in wama Abu Zar'a. She said, Ana, my husband is Abu Zar'a. And what a man Abu Zar'a is. Let me tell you about him. He filled up my ears with gold. He adorned my ear. He spent on her gold and jewelry as much as she wanted and more. That's what she's saying. 
and he filled, he filled my limbs with meat, meaning he fed her, and he kept feeding her, not McDonald's and so on. He fed her food in where she became, yani, filled up. <laughs> Third thing she says about him, he honored me so much that I was so pleased and proud of myself. And what, what did Abu Zarr do? She says, He said, he found me among a poor family that was raising sheep. He took me from there and took me to his family that were raising camels and horses, meaning I had an expensive life, a wealthy family. Took me from poverty to richness. She says, The day I lived with him, I can say whatever I like and he would never mock me. He would never say, just shut your mouth, I've gotten over it. He will never insult me and mock me. I speak whatever I like. And with him I sleep and wake up whenever I want. Eight in the morning, nine in the morning, of course, after the Fajr, but he wouldn't come and disturb me. Take the kids to school, do this, do that, none of this. Leave her until she woke up whenever she would want to wake up. And I would, I would drink until my full. Yani she was satisfied. Listen, this is manners. Watch this. Then she started saying, Umm Zara, hey, let me tell you about his mother. And what a beautiful woman she was. Let me tell you about his father and how awesome of a man he was. Let me tell you about his sleeve and how awesome he was. Everything about this person's life was just outstanding character. Now, she says to Aisha and those women, she says, one day, my husband Abu Zara walked out of the house and it was milking season. People were milking their livestock. So he took a bucket and his eyes fell on a woman that was milking her cow. And she had two beautiful children like leopards. He, she says, so his eye fell on her. He loved her. He went to Umm Zarah and he divorced her. And he married this one that he loved. Allahu Akbar. Imagine this happened today. You see, and I want to tell you something. She says, I married this second husband. He spent on me and so on. Exact words, she says, yet all the things that my second husband did could not fill a small utensil of what Abu Zarah did for me. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he heard this, because Aisha narrates this whole story to Nabi sallallahu alayhi he's sitting listening. He said to her, Ya Aisha, I was to you, and from all these 11 husbands, I am to you like Abu Zara to Umm Zara, except that he divorced her and I did not divorce you. But I want to tell you something. He had outstanding character with, him, with her. What did he do at the end? You see that move he did at the end? He saw someone, he divorced her, and he married a woman he looked at. And she did not dare to say a single word that is bad about him, even though he had done what he did. And I ask, what kind of character did he have? 
that even though this might have hurt her, yet she did not find a single word in her dictionary to say something bad about him. Allahu Akbar. When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would say, I'm like him, and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa compared himself to him, that's the character that is required from a man with his wife. That will contribute towards a righteous family bi-idhnillah. Allahu Akbar. Wallahi today, if this similar incident happened, and a woman came and said, Wallah, I, I, I was with my husband and, and, and he saw someone and he got communication with someone, he divorced me and he married her. Wallah, she will find even the things he never did and she'll say, he's this, he's that, he's this, he's... Huh? And if she spoke good about him, I said, oh, Wallah, sorry, I won't believe you. This is only for Umm Zara to do. But the idea is, the idea is, what kind of character did he have for her to not say a single word about him, Allahu Akbar. That's the kind of character we're speaking about. And like the story of Umm Salama. Umm Salama, when her husband Abu Salama died, and she was upset through this calamity, the Sahaba, they came to her, giving her news. They said to her, say, Allahumma ajurni fi musibati ukhluf li khayran minha. Say, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. Oh Allah, grant me goodness for this calamity I'm going through, and replace it, with me for, replace it for me with something better. So when she made the dua, she said, Oh Allah, grant me goodness in my calamity that her husband had died. Then she said, she didn't say, and oh Allah, replace this calamity with something better. She stopped and she said to herself, who's better than Abu Salama? Imagine that. Her husband has died and she's thinking, who's going to be better than this man I was with? At that. Do you think your wife can say something like this about you? To say who is better than such and such and name her husband? The idea, the question here is, what did Abu Salama do that he is dead and she holds back from a dua thinking who is better than him? Then she was inspired to say it and she said it. And Allah Azza wa gave her Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam as a husband and no doubt Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is better. Subhanallah. Well, how can Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam's manners were with his wife and his family? If she ate from a meat, he'll eat from the exact same place she ate from. If she drank from a cup, he'll drink the exact same place where she drank from. All this is akhlaq, all this is manners. You know, a massive, massive topic and an issue is raised today. And that is, does the wife have to obey the husband or not? Nah? How big is this? Does the wife have to obey? Does she have to cook for him? Does she have to clean? Does she have to do all this and that? And you find the man is standing and Allah, she's not obeying me. Of course, the wife has to obey her husband. There is no doubt. That's in the Quran. Qanitat, Allah says. But I tell you something. You see this entire discussion around the globe. Wallahi, it would have been cut and it would have never been brought to light if a man was upon outstanding character. I don't have doubt that if a man had impeccable character, similar to Abu Zara, a wife would happily serve him. And she wouldn't have an issue. She would not have an ounce of issue. But we've made the situation more complicated. So as a result, a woman would come to the defense and say, I didn't have to obey you in this and in that and in that. And the situation intensifies from there. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would be coming back from a travel he would say to the companions, go ahead of me, go all of you. 
and then he would race his, with his wife Aisha radiallahu anha. Good character, right? Which we learn from this narration that it's allowed for women to play public sport, but she needs to make sure that it's not in the eyes of men or in the presence of men. Huh? Because today it's different. A woman would go out and play public sport, but it's in the presence of non-mahram men, and the cameras are out and so on. That is haram, that is not allowed. It is not allowed. The woman awrah, especially when she's playing sport, there is intense awrah in this. Imagine, yani as-sa'i, when going between as-safa and marwa, and there's the green line in where you have to run. That's a worship. People are in a ibadah, in the house of Allah, in Mecca. There is no fitna and no desire that it's killed. Even then the woman is not allowed to jog among the men. This should teach us that a woman avoids public sporting when there is men around. But if there's no men around, go and play whatever you like in public. Well, that's what Nabi Sallallahu did with Aisha. He's racing her after he has made sure all the men had gone. Good character. Well, Nabi Sallallahu is a busy man, but he would find time for, for his family. And he was like this with all his, with all his children and all his wives. And I share with you a narration. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he says that in the paradise, there is a marketplace. The people, the believers will come to it every Friday. And there is a wind and a breeze that comes from the north. And the wind that blows on the face of the believers in the paradise will illuminate and brighten their faces and make them look much more beautiful. And this happens every Friday. So when these men go back to their wives in their homes, the woman would say to them, The woman would greet her husband by saying, you have become a lot more prettier. You look beautiful. And then the men would say to their wives, Wallahi wa antum husnan wa jamala. Wallah, you also have increased in prettiness and beauty. You see this thing of husband and wife saying to each other, you look beautiful, you look pretty. That's how the people of the paradise will be talking to each other, husband and wife. These are words of the people of the paradise. So if you want to adapt a quality of the people of the paradise, that's one of them. To look at your wife and to say to her, you are beautiful. And for the wife to look at the husband and to say to him, you look beautiful today. These little words will go a long way enhancing a relationship and raising it upon righteous foundations. Wallah. Wallahi. There's nothing rude and there's nothing embarrassing and there's nothing shy in these matters. Right? And I tell you, emotional stinginess is far worse than financial stinginess. When you don't have a good word to say in the house towards each other, that's emotional stinginess. And that is way worse than financial stinginess. Be emotionally generous, just like you are financially generous. A cook, a meal is cooked, say a good word. That's good manners, and you are rewarded for it. You finish from eating, it takes five to 10 seconds to take the plate and put it in the sink. That's good manners. And that will go a long way in enhancing the relationship and establishing righteousness among the family. The children see that, they learn manners, they learn etiquette, they learn character, they hear you speak to your wife like that, they hear the wife speaking to the husband. What do you think these children are going to develop into as opposed to a husband and wife that can't stand each other in the house? You will reap 
that which you that which you saw now uh, finally خلاص there's only five and six but I'll mention them just a word number five الوفاء to know what the husband rights are and what the wife and her, for her to know what her husband's rights are and I direct your attention to a book it's called the rights of the spouses for Sheikh Suleiman al-Ruhayli it's an excellent book about 72 pages and it has within there in detail what are the rights of the husband what are the rights of the wife as Muslims we should know what our rights are and if you know your rights and you implement them and the wife knows her rights and implements them towards her husband then we are contributing towards righteousness within the family and finally and the sixth one is to stay close to the masjid and to your Islamic center to have a strong relationship with the masjid and to be a part of the Muslim community he says he said the devil is like a wolf to man he's like a wolf to man you know what does a wolf do when it sees the lonely sheep, it'll go and it'll snatch it. And that's exactly what the shaytan does for a person who has isolated himself from the community and from the masjid. He will go and he'll grab him and attack him more than anyone else. So it is very incumbent upon each and every single family to stay close to al-masjid, to Islamic lectures, to Islamic centers, and to learn their deen and to show their faces among the Muslims and the brotherhood more often. And that will contribute towards raising a righteous family. Now, and in the end, a person should know, you do your best. These are fundamentals. You do it to the best of your ability. If children come out not righteous, then There's no need to blame yourself. There are prophets like Nuh alayhi salam. A child of his died a disbeliever. We can't say that Nuh was a bad father. In fact, Nuh is a role model when it comes to parenting. But There are situations that things that are not in your hand. That's a test from Allah testing you about some matter. We don't know. There's wisdom in that. So not to lose hope, right? Because al-adab discipline, when children are disciplined, that comes from Allah. Don't ever think that you're the one that made them who they are if they are righteous. Al-adab adab Allah wal khayru khayru Allah, as Imam Malik rahimahullah says. All goodness belongs to Allah Azza wa Jal. And make dua for your children especially. Ask Allah Azza wa Jal to protect them, and to preserve them and to save them. At the end, my brothers and sisters in Islam, we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to preserve us all. We ask Allah Azza wa Jal to preserve our marriages and our families. We ask Allah Azza wa Jal to grant us goodness in our marriages and in our families. We ask Allah Azza wa Jal to admit us into the highest levels of the paradise. مَعَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَالصَّدِّقِينَ وَالشُّهَدَاءِ وَالصَّالِحِينَ وَحَسُنَ أُولَيْكَ رَفِيقَ we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to spare us his punishment and his curse and the hellfire. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us steadfastness upon Islam, upon la ilaha illallah until the day we meet him. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa qina athab al-nar. Rabbana hablana min azwajina wa dhurriyatina qurrata a'yun. Waj'alna lilmuttaqina imama. Jazakumullahu khayran for your attentive listening. And I am sorry for يعني, taking longer than usual. Um, perhaps you can forgive me. We ask Allah Azza wa Jal to accept from us all. Wallahu a'lam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.